Right, friends, now we read from Hebrews 3 and 4 quite a well-known passage that refers back to some happenings in the Old Testament. But let me start off with a question. When you were children and your parents or your teachers used to have things to say to you, did you listen, did you take them to heart, and did they change the way you lived? It could be things like stop leaving your coat on the floor and hang it on a peg. But then the following day, where did the coat go? On the floor or on the peg? Or it could be that famous non-question, have you tidied your room? Which means I've just had a look and I've seen the state of it. Have you tidied your room? You know, we're all familiar with that, aren't we? And we're familiar with the answers that we should give to questions like that. But we know that sometimes the truth is different. In January 2009, on the 20th of January, Barack Obama gave his inauguration speech as President of the United States. And it's estimated that 1.8 million people turned up to hear him. Because there was a feeling abroad in America that this could be the dawn of a new day. A new day for America, the first black president and a Democrat. A new day for individuals because they felt that here was a man coming to the forefront who would be concerned to protect those who were not as well off, introduce changes to health care, give everybody an opportunity to develop in their lives, to be more protected, maybe to achieve something. So people went to hear what he had to say. But the question has to be asked, how many of those who heard what he had to say took his words to heart and let them change their lives? Now, if the most important or powerful man in Britain were to speak, would we go and hear him? Would we go and hear him with the intention that whatever he says, we take to heart and we'd let it change our lives? I tend to think we wouldn't, because being British people, we're a bit more cynical, aren't we? And we think, ah, oh, no, we know what the spin is like and we know what the sheen is like. I'm not that gullible and I'm not that easily taken in. I listen to what he has to say, and if there's value in it, okay, but I'm not committing myself beforehand to do whatever that man tells me. But then the question arises, if we knew that God were to come and speak, say at the race course in Wrexham, this afternoon, three o'clock, would we set ourselves to go and whatever God said to take it to heart and to let that change the way we live? Now you see, we're talking about God and not man. So we don't have to worry about the spin and the sheen and the hidden agenda. We know that if God says it, it's true and right and positive. And we know that surely the only possible answer and response which is right and acceptable is to listen and to take it to heart and to let it change us. But again, sometimes we know what the answer is that we should give. But the reality can be very, very different. Now, in this passage, the writer to the Hebrews is referring back to the period when the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, after they were delivered from being slaves in Egypt. And the quotes, really, that you have from the Old Testament here, such as in verse 7 and 8, the quotes are from Psalm 95. But they refer back to happenings in Exodus 17, at the beginning of the wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness, Massa and Meribah, 
and also to Numbers chapter 20, when again there's a reference to Meribah. So that's the background to it. But the point is this, you see. God said about those people in the wilderness, I spoke to them, and they heard my voice. But they didn't take it to heart. They hardened their hearts. And they didn't allow it to change the way they lived. And the result of that is that I swore they will not enter my rest. Of all the adult males who left Egypt in that huge crowd of 600,000 people or so, only two entered the promised land at the end of 40 years. Joshua and Caleb. All the others, their bodies fell in the wilderness. God swore in his wrath, they will not enter my rest. Because although I've spoken to them again and again, they haven't taken my words to heart. And it hasn't changed them. They've hardened their hearts. And so I've struck them down. That's the background. And that's the context. Now then, question. That's okay for them. But what about us? Have we heard the voice of God? Because it's easy to say, yeah, of course, if I was in their situation, I would do differently. But God's never spoken to me. But is that true? We are told, aren't we, that God speaks in a variety of different ways. For instance, God speaks in creation. There's a voice of God in the world all around us. It's not so much what people do who are interested in intelligent design and that kind of thing, where you look at the way creation is made and you say, well, that of course proves the existence of God. I'm not dismissing that. But that's not the primary thing in the Bible. The primary thing in the Bible is that we are created in such a way that when we come into contact with the creation around us, we inherently know that there's a God. That's not a problem for us. People naturally are aware of God. So whatever tribes have been discovered, however backward people claim that they are, the reality is that they are aware of a God and they have some form of worship. You get a man like G.K. Chesterton, a Catholic apologist, who said when people stop believing in God, it's not that they believe nothing, it's that they'll believe anything. And you see the reality of superstition. People who don't believe that God rules the universe keep a rabbit's foot in their pocket or tie a piece of string around their wrist in the hope that somehow it's going to bring them good luck. There's an awareness in us that there's something greater and there are powers outside of us that are controlling our lives. Now you see, we're told this in the scripture. In Psalm 19, for instance, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows its handiwork. You sometimes stand in a situation and you see something and you just have this sense of something so much greater than you are. But on a far more personal level it happens as well. When God blesses us in our families and that new baby is born and you go to the hospital for the first time to see the baby or maybe it's your own child and you do what we all do which is you count its fingers and you count its toes and you put your finger in its hand and you see the way the baby does that. And you look at it, and you're just amazed at this little thing. Where does this little perfect life come from? How can our day-to-day -day faulty lives produce something like that, which seems so perfect and so well adapted to survive in this world around us? It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? And we are aware that this, God has done something here. This is a gift. One of the women we have in Boris came to the church because she had a leaflet through the door and she realised 
God has given me two children and I've never said thank you. And she came to church to thank God and heard the gospel. It's something in us, isn't it? There's a sense of wonder there sometimes. So Paul says in Romans 1, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his characteristics, are clearly seen. They are understood because of the things that are made. Even his eternal power and his Godhead. See, creation doesn't tell us everything about God. But they tell us that he exists and they tell us that he's powerful. And because of that, Paul says, they are without excuse. Now here's the question. Have we heard the voice of God speaking in creation? If we have, has it made us stop and realize God exists and God is powerful? If so, have we taken that to heart? How has it changed the way we live? A second one. God not only speaks in the creation around us, but he speaks in our consciences. Now, our consciences are those little voices that there are in the back of your head that pick up on the things that we think and say and do. So, for instance, a difficult situation arises in our lives, and we know what the right thing to do is, and it's going to be difficult, and we know we might get some flack, or it's going to be costly, but we say, this is right, I do it. And you commit yourself, and you do and the voice in the back of your head says, ah, that was a tough call, well done. You did the right thing. And then those other situations arise. And rather than doing what we know is right, we jib. And we cut corners and we duck. And we avoid the issue. Or sometimes even worse than that, we deliberately do what we know is wrong. And conscience in the back of our head says, Bajo, you shouldn't have done that, should you? You know you shouldn't have done that. That's just not right. You did, only did it to protect yourself. Where is it all going to end? What about so-and-so that you've let down? That's what conscience does. It's a voice of God speaking to us, passing judgment as to whether the things we think and say and do are good or are not good. Paul refers to it in Romans 2. He says, people show the work of the law written in their hearts. This is God's standard, the law. Their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts accusing or excusing them. You see, yeah, well done, you did well, your conscience excuses you. Or bad show, you shouldn't have done that, your conscience accuses you. It's because we are made in the image of God, God's law is in our hearts. We're not just biological, we are moral. We live in a moral universe where we are responsible for what we do. And so, the voice of God speaks to us and he says, I see you, and I hold you accountable, and I know. So the question comes, have we heard God speaking to us in that way? And if we have, have we taken it to heart, and has it changed the way we live? Where does it leave us? Well, if God is powerful... And if God is wise, and if God is all-knowing, and if God is holy, surely we are without excuse if we don't bow before the Lord and worship him, and if we don't ask him to have mercy on us. You see, even pagan nations, tribes, remote, stone-age tribes who know nothing of the gospel, realize that they need mercy from God if there's to be any hope. So they offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, just in the vague hope that there might be some way God can accept them. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's natural. 
because those are the kind of creatures we are in God's universe. Here's a third one. God speaks in providence. Now, what we mean by that is that when God created the world, he didn't like throw it off into space and just leave it to its own devices. Rather, God is involved day by day in the big events of nations and in the tiniest event of individual lives. And so when things happen in this world, we are to hear the voice of God speaking. So what about the good things? Many of us have experienced a multitude of good things in our lives. Whether it's family blessings or the provision that we have in our houses and our food and our health. Whether it's deliverance from danger, our lives being preserved in the cases of accidents. All sorts of different situations where God has given us good things. See, the Bible tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above. All these things come from God. And so surely in that situation, we should hear the voice of God saying to us that these things are demonstrations of the love and the goodness of God. He's not distant and he's not disinterested. God is a God who loves the world and who loves the individuals that make up the world. Not just Christians, but all men. And so the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the sun shines on the good and the evil. This general love, this display of the goodness of God, it's all around us. In the context here, in Exodus 17, when the people are complaining about God, they've already experienced deliverance from slavery in Egypt. They've been brought through the Red Sea and they've seen the Egyptian armies destroyed. They've been provided with miraculous food, manna from heaven. They have been guided through the wilderness by this pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. The goodness of God towards them is evident. And yet still, they say, when they're short of water, is the Lord among us or not? Have you ever noticed that when things go brilliantly well in people's lives, they tend to think, that's no more than I deserve. And when things go badly, they tend to think, that's not fair. Striking, isn't it? It's just what happened in Exodus 17. Yeah, we've had miracles, but is the Lord among us or not? Because they just can't see where the water's going to come from. See, the problem is, what God does for us is never enough to satisfy us if our hearts haven't submitted to God himself and we haven't realized that every blessing we have from God is a mercy and not something that we deserve. But in Romans 2, Paul says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So have we heard the voice of God speaking to us in the blessings we receive day by day? Have we taken it to heart? And has it changed the way we live in this way? That we say, God, why would you be so good to me? When I've really been so very disinterested and so very self-centered and so very unthankful. And yet still you bless me more than we deserve. Oh, Father, I'm sorry for the way that I've treated you. Have we confessed our sins and repented and turned to the Lord? But not all providence is good providence, is it? 
there's also difficult, hard providence. But in those things, God speaks as well. Now, in Luke chapter 13, there are some striking verses, the first five verses of Luke 13. I'll just read them here from the New King James. They were present, they were present at that season, some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Something had happened, and there'd been some problem, and Pilate had been unhappy with it, and he'd sent the troops in, and the troops had slaughtered people, and their blood had got mixed up with the blood of the sacrifices in the temple. It was one of those horrible atrocities, man's inhumanity to man. They'd heard about that, and they mention it to Jesus. And Jesus says, verse 2, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the Galileans because they suffered such things? How do you read it, he said? What's the voice in this tragedy? Is the voice that bad people suffer and the baddest people suffer most? Is that what happened? So is the reason that these people were slaughtered in this way because they were more evil than the other people who live in the region? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Is what Jesus says. See, there's a voice of God in tragedy that's different from what the world tells us. The voice of God in the tragedy is, in this broken world, it's not that straightforward. In this broken world, all sorts of tragedies and problems occur. And they occur sometimes in the most unexpected situations. But what we have to realize is, that's because this world is a broken, sinful world, and the judgment of God is upon it. When tragedies happen, we must remember that our end might not come in that way, but it will come. Therefore, we have to be ready so that when the end does come, we don't likewise perish. But rather, we are forgiven and accepted by God and our lives are safe in his hands. We might not and probably will not die as the result of a violent act. But we will die. When we die, will we be ready? It's not because God hasn't warned us that the end is coming. We know the end is coming. And the voice of God says, prepare, repent, be ready. He goes on and he says, Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Now that's not so much an act of atrocity, that's kind of an accident, isn't it? Like a natural disaster. They're walking past and the tower collapses and kills them. Nobody planned it. It wasn't deliberate. It happened. And we've heard lots of news over the last two years about these disasters that occur in the world as a result of earthquakes, etc. Nobody's responsible in that sense. Nobody flicked the switch or, you know, pulled the plug. Nothing like that. What does Jesus say? He says, I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. When the disaster comes, it isn't that God is necessarily saying, this nation or this city is such a sinful city, I must intervene and destroy it. No, no. But what God is saying is, we're all under the judgment of God and our end will come. Therefore, hear the voice of God and be ready. So that when the time comes, we're not destroyed. But rather, we are accepted and received into the presence of God. Because our lives are already safe in his hand. Can you see it? There's a voice of God in illness. There's a voice of God in redundancy. There's a voice of God in trauma. There's a voice of God in bereavement. 
What does he say to us? He says, life in this world is uncertain. And the only safety that comes is the safety I provide. So repent. And trust me. Be ready. Have we heard God speak in that way? In the good and the bad things of life? Have we taken it to heart? Has it changed the way we live? Let me give you another one. God speaks in his word, the Bible. The Bible is the word of God, and so it carries the authority of God. Jesus says in John 10, for instance, the scripture cannot be broken. Not possible. What God has said must come to pass. It stands. And we know that the Bible is free from error because it's the word of the God who cannot lie, as Paul puts it. So everything we read in the word of God is reliable and solid and dependable. But what does he say? Well, he tells us everything creation tells us about his power. Everything our consciences tell us about his holiness. Everything providence tells us about his goodness and about his judgment and about the uncertainty of life. And he tells us more. Because in his word, he tells us about the reality of salvation. You don't find that anywhere else. But in the word of God, we are told about the reality of the love of God in Jesus Christ for men and women. The word of God tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That there can be no forgiveness without sacrifice. That animal sacrifices are not sufficient. So what is God to do if he's going to save men and women? The love of God is such that he himself sacrifices at great cost and provides his own son so that there might be a means of forgiveness and escape. You don't find that anywhere else. But you find it in the word of God. People say, God doesn't care about me. God's distant. Look at everything that's happened in my life. How can I believe that God cares? And what we say is, you're listening to the wrong voices. The clearest voice that you need to hear is the voice that speaks at Calvary. And the voice that speaks at Calvary says, this is how much I love men and women. So that they might find safety in this life and forgiveness. And then they might find eternal salvation. That's the voice that speaks. And that's the voice we have to take to heart. That's the voice that must change the way we live. The Bible tells us everything we need to know for life and for godliness. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says, From your childhood you've known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith that is in Jesus Christ. It tells us the truth about God's holiness and our sinfulness and our need and God's provision of salvation in Christ alone. And tells us that that salvation becomes ours through faith in him. When we believe the truth and we take him as our own and commit ourselves to him and trust him. That on the basis of that simple bare faith, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the riches of his salvation and accepts us as his children. It tells us that. And you can't find that anywhere else. You look at the religions and the opinions of the world and they all say, you have to start where you are and you've got to work your way up. But God in his word says, no, I know where you are. And when I passed by you, you were in your blood, as it says in the prophets in the Old Testament. But when I saw you in your blood... I planned, and I acted, and I delivered, and I provided, 
and I speak. And so today all I ask is that you respond and that you receive and that you take and that you are washed and that you are forgiven and that you are accepted and that you become mine and that you let me keep you forever. Have we heard the voice of God speaking in that way? Of course we have, you just have now. Have we taken it to heart? Has it changed the way we live? When you have to get up early in the morning for a particular thing, maybe you've got a flight to catch, you've got a particularly busy day and you need to make an early start, you set your alarm clock, don't you? And when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, the last thing you want to do is get out of bed. So you have a plan. You haven't planned it beforehand, but suddenly a plan appears in your mind. How can I stop the voice of that alarm clock speaking? Plan one. I stick my head under the pillow and I hold it tight so that the voice of the alarm clock's muffled. Doesn't disturb me so much, I don't have to get up. Plan two. I pick the alarm clock up and I throw it across the room. On the basis that the further away the alarm clock is, the quieter its voice is. And it won't disturb me so much, so I won't have to get up. Plan three. I reach over the side of the bed in the darkness and find a shoe. And I beat the alarm clock until its voice stops ringing. Then I don't have to listen to it and I can roll over and go back to sleep. But how do we stop the voice of God? See, in these verses it says, they didn't hear him. They hardened their hearts. It happens in those ways. We put a pillow over our heads. Rather than listening to what God is saying, we so fill our lives with amusements or distractions or responsibilities with the family or pressures from work or whatever it might be that we just can't hear the voice of God speaking to us. There's too much other stuff in the way. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Too much other stuff. I remember when the place I used to work years ago, remember when there was that great eclipse? It was all over the news and everybody went out to watch the eclipse and they all said don't look at the eclipse with naked eye you need to have something that you look through and all that i had a meeting at the time the eclipse was on and we didn't bother going outside to look at it we just carried on with the meeting i can't remember what the meeting was about but i can remember that i missed the eclipse why do people do it putting so much other stuff in the way which really is just trivial and unimportant you can Pick up the clock and throw it away, can you? The further I can get the voice of God away from me, the quieter it'll become. So the further I can get away from the Bible, the further I can get away from church, the further I can get away from conversations with Christians, the further I can get away from tracts, the further I can get away from that annoying Christian in work who always tries to say something to me, the quieter God's voice will become so it won't disturb me so much and I won't have to listen. But we can also fumble about for a shoe, can't we? And we can beat the voice of God. Now what I mean is this. People say, I know what the gospel says. The gospel says that salvation is only by faith in Jesus Christ because a holy God must punish sin. And rather than punishing me, he has promised that he's punished the Lord Jesus Christ in the place of sinners. And if I trust Jesus Christ, I'll be forgiven and saved. I know that, but I've read this thing in the Old Testament here and I don't understand it. 
I don't like what the Bible says about creation. I don't like what the Bible says about destroying some of the tribes in the book of Joshua. I don't like what the New Testament says about sexual ethics and marriage. And we use that little shoe to beat the voice of God. See, why do we do it? It's because we don't want to listen to what God is saying. And so we use these other things as excuses to quieten it. Or worse, we say, I know what the gospel says, but I remember so-and-so who used to work with me who said he was a Christian. And he was a terrible man. And if Christians are like that, I don't want anything to do with it. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't like that. And we know that there are many Christians around us who are not like that. And we know that that man really was a hypocrite. And yet we use his example to quieten the voice of God. It's just not right. You just wouldn't do that, would you? It doesn't make any sense. It's just an excuse to make the voice of God quiet. There is a fourth way to quieten the voice of God. You just turn the clock off. Now in this passage in Hebrews, what it says is that God spoke to them for 40 years. They tested him and tried him in the wilderness. And then God himself declared on oath in his anger, they shall never enter my rest. When was the clock of God's voice turned off? And who did it? God himself turned it off. And from that moment on, all hope had passed. They died in the wilderness. They never entered God's rest. God did it. Now, for us, this happens at least two occasions. It happens at the return of Jesus Christ. You know the parable of the, the wise and the foolish virgins? When the bridegroom comes, the foolish virgins have no oil and no time to buy any. And the door is shut. The voice of the bridegroom is silenced. The opportunity to enter into rest has passed. It happens then. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, all men and women, living and dead, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The time for grace is over. The time for judgment has come. It happens then. But also, it happens at death. We're told in scripture, it is appointed for men to die once and after this judgment. So no reincarnation, no second chance. We die, our bodies go into the earth, our souls go into the presence of God who gave them. And the clock stops. The implication is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, because the day is coming when God himself will stop speaking. And at that point, we will not enter his rest. You know the verses in the New Testament. I know you do. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, the rest of the promised land in the Old Testament is just a picture. The reality that it speaks about, the rest of salvation, the rest of heaven, it comes from Jesus Christ as a free gift. Think of it like this, the rest of salvation. When we come to Christ and he gives us rest, what does it mean? It means he has forgiven us, 
Therefore, we can rest from trying to make ourselves acceptable to God. We don't have to do that anymore because we know it doesn't work and we know it's not necessary because Christ has received us. It means we have rest from our conscience accusing us about the things that we've done wrong or the good things we've forgotten to do because we know the Lord Jesus Christ has washed our consciences with his blood and God isn't angry with us anymore. So with all our failings in our hands, we can stand in the presence of God and still know that he accepts us. And because he loves us in our sin, for Christ's sake, we can be at rest. And then we look forward to the day when we see the Lord Jesus Christ as he is and we are like him. The day when he himself will wipe away all tears from our eyes and there will be no sin and no sickness and no sorrow. And so we will be forever with the Lord. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you since before the foundation of the world. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Eternal rest of joy and service and thankfulness in the presence of the Saviour who loved us and who gave himself for us. Have you heard the voice of God? Have you taken it to heart? Has it changed the way you live? Through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and receiving his salvation. Let's pray. Father, here this morning, we praise you for your word. We thank you that you are a living God. We thank you that you are alive. Lord, we often find ourselves confused and we feel that we are so very small. But we thank you that you were able to reach into our lives from the outside. And where there's confusion and darkness, you can bring clarity and light. Where there's uncertainty, you can bring assurance. Where we feel as if we don't know which direction to go in, you are the God who can guide us. Father, we thank you for this. And we pray that in each of our lives, you would reach in from the outside this morning. That you would become our great saviour God and we would know what it is to truly hear your voice cherish it in our hearts and from this day forward take you as our God and our saviour in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we ask Amen Right, <clears throat> right now then 549 let's sing that